Hi, everybody. This is Chris Coffey from West 40, and you're listening to Shift Everything, the podcast that challenges the status quo in education. Join us as we explore what's happening in the classroom and the changes that are making the impossible possible. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris Coffey. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast, Shift Everything. Thank you for uh, joining us on our journey. We're going to do something a little bit different today by asking questions to our executive director, Dr. Mark Kleisner. You've seen him, you've read about him, you've uh, heard his quotes before, you've heard him on Shift Everything before. For those of you who are just tuning in, Dr. Kleisner, thank you for joining us. Could you kind of introduce yourself and walk our listeners through your educational journey and ultimately your role here at West 40? Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Um, I enjoy these opportunities to connect with our listeners. So my journey started 40 years ago, literally in a cornfield. Um, I was a special ed teacher in a small district in rural Indiana and um, made my way back to Chicago. And I had teaching experiences in special ed in several settings. And then I taught first grade, third grade, and fifth grade before becoming an administrator. I spent some time as a principal an assistant superintendent and a superintendent. And for the last decade, I've been working in the regional office of education world, uh, first in Kane County in the last eight years here in West 40. The other piece that I'm fully invested in is my colleagues have chosen me as the president of all the regional offices in the state. So I have an opportunity to travel the state, see what's happening in every corner. And at the same time, have some opportunities to sit with decision makers and try to frame the future of education in Illinois. Cool, and and just thinking about and hearing about your history as a teacher, sounds like you climbed the ladder, you did a lot of great things in the classroom, You're, you work your way up from the classroom to overseeing a school, to overseeing a region. Could you kind of talk about the difference between just a, a, a school district and something like a regional office of education. For those of our listeners who who have heard about ROEs, but they want to know more about them, could you kind of describe that? Absolutely. Um, It's interesting, it's a big shift. After I had spent um, about 30 years in traditional public school, schools and and districts, um, I thought, well, I thought thought I was well prepared (laughs) to take on a regional office of education. And yet there's so much to learn. So a regional office typically has three responsibilities. One is around compliance. One is around professional learning. And the third one is is providing services uh, for students at risk of of not graduating on time. And what that means in West 40 is that I work with all 41 entities around those three issues. in a way that's similar to the teacher in the middle of the cornfield, we tend to focus on one child at a time and find what that child needs um, to help them be fulfilled and successful. What has happened over the course of my career is that now I find myself working with 41 entities, 38 districts and three special ed co-ops, but still approaching each of those, knowing that they have different needs and that it's my goal to move away or remove the barriers between school districts being struggling or 
uh, trying to improve. If I can remove some barriers that help them be more successful, it's the same kind of philosophy, but on a much larger scale. Um, sometimes, Chris, I say I started my career with 10 students in the back of a library, and now I'm having conversations about 90,000 students or 2 million students in Illinois or 50 million students across uh, across the United States. The same questions, the same commitments, just on a larger scale. And that's a segue into uh, some of our questions. Um, as I look at them, we, we cast the net out. We asked a lot of our West 40 uh, area educators and school district officials if they had any questions for you, Mark. And this is something that stood out to me. So basically, this is Nick in Franklin Park. Nick in Franklin Park wants to know, when you talk to others about the West 40 region, what makes you proud to serve in West Cook? I think it's a great question, Chris. And I'm actually glad that Nick chose to phrase that as, what are you proud of? We have a very diverse region. Uh, we're only 20 square miles, but as I mentioned, we have 41 entities, some that are very small, one school of 220 students, and some that are thousands of students. We have some that have lots of resources and some that, that don't. Um, when the state changed to the EBF funding system, uh, one of our districts was actually the least well-funded district in the entire state. So we have a, a broad spectrum of needs and areas to serve. But what I've often said as I travel is that West 40 is known for people who put students first and who are willing to do the work needed to help every student be successful. I often use a phrase like, no one in West 40 is afraid of rolling up their sleeves and getting into the work. I'm very proud of the fact that our districts work closely together. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that across the state or across the United States, sometimes districts are competing for resources or for awards, whatever that may be. But in West 40, our folks work very closely together they're more than willing to share ideas and resources. Um, a good example would be that during COVID, we had a time where our district said, we have a group of students that don't, we don't know how to meet their needs because they, they can't come to school. They're either medically fragile or they're emotionally fragile and can't make it to school. So we worked, West 40 worked with the districts, created our own fully synchronous, full-time remote school um, that is now functioning at capacity as a different way to address the needs of students. And that was done collaboratively, uh, rolling up our sleeves, doing the hard work, and working together. Very interesting. Um, Ryan in Brookfield. Ryan wants to know, how can West 40 make sure that our region has a voice in the selection process of the next state superintendent of schools in Illinois with Dr. Ayala retiring? Um, I think it's a great question. And I'm not shy to admit that we have kind of fallen into this conversation, which is wonderful. <laughs> As I mentioned, I've had the opportunity to serve as the president of the ROEs across the state. 
And the state superintendent is appointed by the Illinois State Board of Education. Those members are appointed by the governor. And because I have the, fortune, the good fortune of being in conversations with both the state board and the governor's office, we do have a voice. And um, both those entities have been asking for input. The State Board of Education has indicated that they are going to do a national search to find the very best person. And so um, I have been invited to be part of conversations, not only about the qualifications of the type of person we'd like leading our State Board of Education um, as our state superintendent, but also possibly down the road as it comes time to vetting candidates or even possibly be um, involved in, in some degree of the uh, selection process. So it wasn't necessarily planned, but both West 40 and the regional offices have a voice in this selection process uh, through some connections and relationships we've been able to build. Thanks, Mark. And speaking of people having a voice with how their education in Illinois is, John has a good question. He wants to know, how can school leaders, educators, and parents contact Illinois lawmakers to let them know about the importance of education bills? If there's a big bill out there that stands to impact a lot of kids and families, what is the best way for someone who, who really wants to get their voice heard to someone who ultimately makes the decision? It's a great question. And I will admit that for most of our constituents, this all feels like a complicated process that is, is hard to decipher and decode. But I'd like to share that I don't really think it is. It takes a little bit of time. But um, if families spend some time at the General Assembly's website, iga.gov, they can search keywords, they can search bills, there are easily identifiable tabs that list our legislators, both in the House and in the Senate. And almost all of those have uh, local offices as well as Springfield offices. But the contact information is almost always included on that website. Now, if it's somebody more local, like a West 40 person, we try to keep our lists up to speed too, just for our own region. But if we're looking across the state, the General Assembly's website is the best source, either contacting legislators or following particular bills that are being processed or being promoted. We have two sessions coming up, Chris. In January, there'll be a very short lame duck session. And that term comes from the fact that some legislators either chose not to run again, or some chose to retire, or some were defeated in the last election. And so they have one last hurrah in, in January to look at legislation that they feel is important before the new General Assembly is seated. So one of my cautions might be to your listeners that some of the information that you just asked about uh, will change mid-January as new legislators are seated. And that is about the best, the best route for contacting legislators. The spring session won't start until close to the 1st of March. Those calendars have recently been 
released, and they're also available on that website. And you can visit or make appointments to meet with legislators in person, either while they're home in their district offices or uh, when they're in Springfield, there are times to do that. If someone who's listening is very interested, I would strongly encourage them to contact West 40. We have a, a good group of folks, about 15 of us, that are invested in legislative work. And uh, we can come alongside people who are interested, share how to find resources, how to access legislators. We've taken that on as very seriously because we know it impacts the students of our region and students across the, the entire state. We just came out of a, well, we're still in it, the, the tail end of the pandemic, let's hope. Mm -hmm. uh, the past couple of years were tough. Schools are open though. Uh, but a couple of pandemic related questions for you, Mark. Sure. Um, does this, this is Brian and LaGrange. Brian and LaGrange wants to know, does the state have any plans to provide additional pandemic recovery funds for school districts? So there are two answers here. The question is framed as additional funds. And I think the most accurate answer is to say no. I don't see anything on the horizon for new waves of additional funding related to the pandemic. But the other side of that coin is that in many cases, not all of the money that was allocated over the last two years has been spent. So there are remaining dollars, not new, but remaining dollars that haven't been spent. And in my conversations with Dr. Ayala and the, and the state board or some members at the governor's office, those leftover dollars are being reallocated so that they can have an impact. And I will applaud both the governor's office and the state board of education for not letting those dollars sit dormant. Some districts didn't need or couldn't find good uses. And yet, on the other hand, other districts didn't have enough to do all that they needed to do. So we're going to see some new dollars. One example, Chris, is that there were funds allocated from the federal government through the governor's office to assist with COVID-related expenses for non-public schools. And over the course of the last couple of years, there's been 40 plus million dollars that hasn't been spent yet. So the governor has asked a number of us to get involved to redistribute those dollars to the schools that can use them um, in a post-pandemic way. And they are largely unrestricted dollars. So um, both public schools and private schools are, are experiencing some of this follow-up to, I'll call them leftover dollars, that might be able to address things like heating and air conditioning, hand sanitizer, and anything in between um, related to post-pandemic expenditures. Another one that's kind of pandemic-related, if you could put on your... Uh president of the uh, regional association of school superintendents hat. Um, mm -hmm. This one is near and dear to me because it's one of the first questions I asked you when I was still a local reporter in the Chicago market. <laughs> and uh, Emilia from DuPage County wants to know, um, because we did 
we got a lot of practice with remote learning, right? What does this mean for snow days? Traditional snow days for most of us growing up meant uh, snowball fights in the backyard and sledding on hills. But because we're so good at remote learning now, does that mean if we have five feet of snow forecast uh, tomorrow, does that mean that uh, educators and students are expected to sit in their, uh, their kitchen table on the computer and learn instead of playing outside? So there are a couple answers here too, Chris. I love this question. And, you know, my own children and actually my grandchildren have asked the same question. For those of us that grew up during the time I did, it was sort of a rite of passage. We all love uh, snow days. So there, the, there are a couple answers. School districts can enact a snow day in the same way that they always have in the past. So that opportunity or that possibility has not been eliminated. The other side of the coin is that educators in general feel that as much continuity to instruction as possible can be provided, the better off our students are. And by school code, every school district must have a minimum of 176 instructional days. So as you'll remember from being a child with, with snow forts and snowball fights, those days were made up in June at the end of the year. So as educators, I think most teachers and, and educators in general would say that those days in, in early June that you're making up snow days, there's not a lot of learning going on. Um, it's the end of the year. Kids are ready for summer. It, it's hard to really maximize learning during that time of the year. Most educators are indicating to me that they would rather choose to go remote and perhaps the snowball fights and the snow forts can be on the weekends, but to keep instruction flowing and not extend the year into the summer seems to be a, a better bet. On the other hand, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, the NFL moved a, a game based on six feet of snow in the stadium. So, you know, I always like to say anything's possible. It's hard to say. But most of our educators are looking to use e-learning remote days to keep instruction going and not extend the school year. That's more likely the choice from the people that I've been talking to. That's technology for you. Thanks for that answer, Mark. Yep. Uh, just a couple more. Uh, what do you say? You got a couple more in you? Absolutely. This is from Dave in the Pleasantdale School District. Dave wants to know, with the teacher and substitute shortage intensifying, are there specific steps that West 40 is taking to provide relief to districts? It's a great question. And Chris, as you know, people who are interested in this topic, I'm going to direct them to the Illinois Association of Regional Superintendents of Schools website. Every year we do a a research study and there's lots of information. I would agree with, with Dave that this problem is intensifying, it's not lessening. And in general, people in my circles believe that the, the only way to really solve the teacher shortage or educator shortage is to elevate the teaching profession and the educator's profession um, which is a 10-year project. 
having young people realize what a great profession it is to be a teacher or or an administrator or a paraprofessional. So we know that it's a it's a long way out to solve it. When your listener asks, are there specific things in West 40? Right close to home, every month we hold a required training for people that want to get a substitute license. And I'm trying to get that word out. It may be that some folks are working remotely on their in their profession, and maybe they want to dedicate one day a week or two days a week. Maybe it's not full-time. Uh, maybe their lifestyle allows them to be a part-time or short-term substitute. So in West 40, every month, we offer the required training that would allow people to get that short-term substitute license. On a broader scale, to my earlier comments, in West 40, we're working very closely with um, about 10 universities in the Chicago area and a couple at the national level um, to help facilitate the process whereby folks can pursue their teaching license. There are several different routes to do that. And I would encourage your listeners, if they're interested, to call the West 40 office. We have two licensure specialists that can help review an individual case, um, maybe review transcripts, let people know what the path is that makes most sense. Additionally, to Dave's point, in my other role, I spend time every week working with the State Board of Education with the group that does licensure, and we're looking for um, abbreviated routes to licensure for parapros, for educators. We're looking for pathways where parapros can become teachers over time. We always want to guarantee that the students in our program or in our um, schools have the highest quality teacher possible. So it isn't just like pulling people off the street and sticking them in classrooms. We want to make sure that they are well-trained, that they're properly licensed, and then support them to the degree we can in their professional growth to make sure we have the best people in front of students. At the same time, because we're in crisis mode, we are looking for ways to guarantee that quality and at the same time expedite the road or the path to licensure at any one of those roles that, that we've been talking about. And again, it sounds a little bit like a commercial, but Gina and Sharon in our office are amazing. And if anybody has interest in just like, how do I go about working in a school? They can walk through that process through that person's individual um, story. So the answer to your listener's question is really, we're doing some things very locally, right at the West 40 office. We're doing some things in the region and some things across the state. And in some ways, even across the nation, trying to address this um, teacher educator shortage crisis. Thanks, Mark. One more question. Uh, Chris in Hillside wants to know, what's it like to be a Bears fan this season? <laughs> well, there are two answers there too, Chris. I would say on, on uh, one hand, it's been very painful. I am a diehard Bears fan, and they've made the last few games very exciting. Uh, the outcome was not what we hoped for, but very exciting. Um, I think there's possible hope for our future. So the two words that come to mind are exciting and, and disappointing, but then also 
somewhat familiar, <laughs> unfortunately. But we're going to keep cheering them on uh, right through the season and into next year. All right, Dr. Mark Kleisner, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Shift Everything. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening to Shift Everything. We want to hear your thoughts and bold ideas and share your educational accomplishments. To join the conversation, email us at shifteverything at west40.org.